So today is our family's first Sunday, which I think I've said a few times, and I think it's important for some of you to know that kids at Snowmass Chapel represent about 20% of our average Sunday attendance. On some Sundays, maybe today is one of them, it's more like 30%. So that means one in three kids that you see here in the chapel, especially on a really busy Sunday, are kids. It's worth noting because kids are welcome anytime to church, to this, to sit in the pews with us. But we don't often invite them in to our worship. And if we don't, I think we're missing a huge, huge opportunity to let them share in our faith life and the things that really uh, exemplify what it means to worship together as a family of God. So I love uh, the opportunity to have them here with us this morning. As we do gather with all of our young people, I don't think there's any more important topic than what it means to be a friend. I think sometimes today we actually have forgotten how. And so leave it to Jesus to come and help us figure it out again. In today's scripture reading, as you just heard, Jesus was gathered with his disciples at the Last Supper. It was an emotional night as he was trying to prepare their hearts for the worst that was yet to come. And it was here, gathered around that table, that Jesus said to them, I do not call you servants any longer. I call you friends. So earlier this morning, I asked you to uh, tell each other who is your best friend and why. And your answers were kind of fun to overhear a little bit. I heard some of, them, some of you say that your friends bail you out of trouble sometimes. I heard you say that uh, they're the only person that you can do blank with, so you can fill in the blank, figure out what people said. I heard you say that they just get me. I can be my myself with them. We do the same things. We like the same things. We have fun together. And all of those are the right answers. All of those are what it means to be a friend. A friend confi confides in you tells you things that they might not tell other people. A friend is someone that you can trust to be there for you. A friend is someone who invites you to be part of their life, shares a meal with them, has slumber parties with them. And all of that is vastly different than being a servant. A servant is someone who performs duties for someone else. It's more of a responsibility, more like a job. A servant is usually very devoted to someone, but the servant is not normally part of the master's life. They don't eat meals together, and there are very rarely slumber parties. And so being a servant is a really good thing. There's a time and a place for each of us to serve. The disciples served Jesus. They went ahead of him to the different cities that they visited, and they made sure that things were set up for him. They made sure there were meals. They did a little crowd control. They organized things for Jesus ahead of his arrival. They brought sick people to him to be healed. They fed people. They were faithful, devoted servants to Jesus, and Jesus loved them. But something changed that night at the Last Supper. That night, shortly before Jesus' death, as he was gathered there with the disciples for that last meal, he rose from the table, filled a basin of water, wrapped a towel around his waist, and then knelt at the feet of his disciples 
and began washing their feet one at a time. Now that is not something that normally would be done by the host or the master of a house. That would be done by a servant. And so when Jesus got to Peter, Peter said, never, Jesus, you are not washing my feet. And Peter said, but I must. If you are truly to know me and be in relationship with me, you must let me do this for you. You see, Jesus wants us to serve him, to be a devoted follower and supporter, but he also wants us to be close. He wants us to be vulnerable enough, to be real enough to allow him in. Later that same night, in fact, after the foot washing, there's a really touching scene in the Bible where we're told that one of Jesus' followers, who's referred to as the beloved disciple, reclines over onto Jesus' chest. It's such a tangible and touching example of how God is transforming the relationship with the disciples from servant to friend. Jesus is that tangible reminder that God is in our midst. He is not distant or remote but face-to-face. And that's how we love each other, is face-to-face. It's really hard to be indifferent to somebody when you're standing right in front of them. It's really hard to hate someone face-to-face. So get close. Get up face-to-face with people. There's a big difference between a servant-master relationship and a friendship relationship. The servant is characterized by duty, friends by love. The servant does what is required. Friends do whatever it takes. When Jesus made the transition from servant to friend with his disciples, he said to them, I call you friend because a servant does not know his master's business, but I have told you everything that I have heard from God. I've told you the most important things that there are to know. So just as you might tell your friend everything there is to know about you and your life, Jesus told the disciples the most important things, the most important things that he knew from God. And at the top of the list of those things is this. Jesus said, you will know greater joy than you can ever imagine if you do one thing, love. So Jesus wants us to get close to him, and the way we stay close is by loving others. You are my friends if you keep my command, he said, and my command is this, love one another. Jesus is crystal clear that love is what life is all about. And he's also clear that this one thing, loving others, is what will bring us immeasurable joy. I have told you these things so that your joy will be complete, is what Jesus said to the disciples. That is the recipe for a great life. Act in love always. And you will not only know joy, but your joy will be complete. Now, hear me on this. Jesus didn't say that every waking moment of your life will be happy. 
He didn't say that you're not going to experience pain and sorrow and failures and fall short of your own expectations for success. But what he did say is that your joy, despite those things, will be complete. For those kids who are in the, in the room, I, I liken it to a class that you could say was your least favorite one. You got more C's and D's than you did A's and B's. You didn't love every second of the class, but you stayed focused. You got through the course, and hopefully at the end of it, you came away with some knowledge that will carry you with, carry, you will carry with you for the rest of your life. And at the end of the year, that class was complete. It was done, it was whole. And that's what Jesus promises us with this command to love. Our joy will be complete. It will be whole. We will be whole. Now, I'm sure that some of you have heard the phrase, what would Jesus do, WWJD? It's something that we ask sometimes when we're confused about something ethically or morally, and we wonder to ourselves, in fact, what would Jesus do in this situation? And the answer, I hope you already know, is a simple one. Jesus would choose love. Whatever it is that's confounding you, whatever it is that is confusing to you, under whatever the circumstances, the answer is always choose love. So as a friend of Jesus then, the question might be, instead of WWJD, ask yourself, how are my actions expressing love? Right now in this situation, how am I expressing love? Because that's the answer. And if we really want to be called a friend of Jesus, then our calling is to love freely and generously. We don't count the cost of what that is. We don't worry about who's on the receiving end of all that limitless love. We're not worried about what other people think. In fact, Jesus gave us the perfect example. He loved everyone, even Judas, who he knew would betray him. He even washed Judas's feet. He kept Judas in that inner circle, treated him with the exact same love that he treated his other disciples. Our response to Jesus's radical love is to love radically. In this morning's scripture, I think you probably heard, there is no greater love than to lay down your life for one's friend. Very few, if any of us, will ever be put to the test on that, I'm certain, although many have over the years. And Jesus says, that is the greatest love. But nevertheless, even though we won't be called to do that, I hope, we can all express the same love that Jesus did. And I want to give you two examples of Jesus' own BFFs. His best friends were Peter and John, we could say. Peter, after being asked three times by Jesus, do you love me, said, yes, Lord, I love you. And he tells Jesus that he will feed his sheep. That is, he will take care and love for Jesus' people the same way that Jesus did. And Jesus tells Peter that if he does that, if he acts out that love in the same way that Jesus did, which is what he is called to, that he will die the same kind of death Jesus did as a martyr stretched out on the cross. 
Now, Peter, upon hearing this, immediately sort of looks over his shoulder and says, well, what about him? And him is John, Jesus' other BFF. But Jesus says that John is not going to die a martyr's death. John is called to love in a different way. John was called to love by writing down the stories and the events of Jesus' life. In fact, he wrote five books in the New Testament. The Gospel of John, the letters of John, 1, 2, and 3, and the book of Revelation is also attributed to John. And so we know that he was called in a very different way so that everyone might know Jesus' story. Both of these disciples are true friends of Jesus, yet the way they loved and the path they took following him were vastly different. When Peter questioned Jesus that he was going to die a martyr's death, he says, oh, okay, I get it. I'm going to pay the ultimate price, but, but what about John here? And Jesus literally says, what's it to you? Don't worry about John, Peter. You be you. You do you. So what does that mean for each of us to do me when it comes to following and loving Jesus? How do you love others as only you can? The best way I know of is to lean in to Jesus. Get close to Jesus. You can't be friends with someone if you never hang out, right? You need to talk to each other. Share a meal with each other once in a while. Find ways to meet with God alone. Solitude is not a bad thing. And I say these next words thinking of our young friends especially, but by young I mean anybody who's probably under the age of 90 and owns a smartphone. Because we are so attached to our devices and to filling the quiet spaces in our lives that we can't make room for that solitude with Jesus. So we need to put away the smartphones, the videos, the iPads, the work. When you are alone and maybe even feeling lonely because you're isolated or because there's no one around, go within, plunge into that deepest part of yourself where God will meet you. The book of Psalms says, be still and know that I am. There's also a beautiful little book called The Cloud of Unknowing, which was written by an anonymous monk in the 14th century. And in it, he says that communing with God is easy. We just need a naked intent. Now, this is a G-rated sermon this morning, so I do not mean that you're supposed to take your clothes off in order to get close to God. What I mean by that is what the English monk meant, and that is that when we desire with all of our heart to get close to God, that is enough. The simple desire to be close to God is enough. And this particular monk wrote, try sitting quietly with God. Be bold. I find that such an interesting contrast. Be bold and courageous in your quiet. St. Augustine, who lived a long time ago, 1,700 years ago, wrote this. And I'm going to read it to you because I love it. So I hope, I hope you can really listen to this. It's so good. He wrote, if you could calm your body's loud demands, if you could blind your point of view, if you could silence noise 
and dreams and language and symbols and everything that does not last forever. If your soul could be quiet with itself, if you could relinquish analysis, if you could lose your anxious self-consciousness, if you could listen only to your maker speak, not through anything but himself, then we would hear being, the unmovable wisdom. And if we could sustain this not thinking for any length of time, it would swallow us up into unspeakable delights of the soul, and we would know what Jesus meant when he gave this invitation in Matthew 25. Enter into the joy of your master. Isn't that a great invitation? An invitation to just meet God within. Getting alone with God is one way we get close. Gratitude, I believe, is another. In other words, can we just stop and appreciate that we aren't the end-all, be-all? All of these great things that happen in our lives, and there are plenty, don't happen because you're just that awesome. They don't just happen magically, popping out of thin air. Notice and give thanks for these things. Notice the blessings in your life, whatever they are. I know some parents who encourage their kids at night, just before they fall asleep, to say three things that they're grateful for. What a great way to go to sleep at night with gratitude in their hearts. Another way we remain close to God is by thinking of God throughout the day. So I have a challenge for you. I think most of us would agree that God is all-powerful. God is more powerful than anything we can imagine or dream of. And I want you to think for a second that all of that power, all of that creative force is all here for you, working for your highest good. All you have to do is ask. And it might be as simple as, God, be with me today. God, protect me and my teammates today on this field. Help me with this important conversation that I need to have, God. Thank you that I didn't get in trouble for what I should have just gotten in trouble for. That's called grace, by the way, when you uh, should have gotten in trouble for something and you didn't. So, there are things throughout our days that we can just notice and begin to commune with God, talk to God, thank God. We sometimes forget that Jesus didn't come to earth just to talk about religious reform or to show us how to behave better in church. Jesus came to earth to show us the very face of God. He taught us how to reflect his life in our lives, and he came so that we would know God as a person, as someone to be in relationship with, as someone to be our friend. God is out there, but God is also in here. God is in our midst, comforting us, lifting us up, drawing us in. When we meet God face to face, just as when we meet people face to face, we experience that relationship in a deeply personal way. It is an honor to be called a friend. So may we all 
live up to the promise of the unspeakable joy that that title offers. Amen.